Hello, and welcome to the Words and Pictures podcast. I'm DJ Bowman Smith, and this is Words and Pictures podcast number 33. This week, my guest is Mark Wells, author of the Cambridge Gothic series, and he'll be telling us all about what it's like to live in Cambridge and being be inspired by those amazing buildings. And um, also, he'll be telling us a little bit about um, how he got his audiobooks done and what audiobooks mean to him as an author. So stick around for that. So at my desk this week, well, at my desk this week, it's been a bit tricky. We've got the builders in at the moment, uh, sorting out a new bathroom. We've lived in this house for like 30 years. And you know you've lived there a long time when you actually start redoing stuff that you did originally. So the bathroom that got pulled out and seems so modern and lovely seems pretty, pretty um, tatty now. So it's come out and we've got the guy up there doing the tiling and stuff like that. So as I'm recording this, it is in fact Sunday, so the house is nice and quiet and uh, my husband's out and the dog's asleep. So I'm hoping that uh, we can have a nice quiet moment while I just get this done. So it's been a bit challenging. I've been trying to get my editing done, ready to give my Midwich book to my my editor, uh, possibly at the end of this week. So, yeah, I'm busy doing that. I've kind of done all the things that you do, printing it off in a different font, in a funny font, to hope that that helped me make the mistakes. I've done the reading it aloud and, you know, all those things. So I, I'm kind of getting there. I'm, you know, it, it just seems at this point that mm, I'm almost at the point where I'm feeling I'm making changes for the sake of making changes, just because you can always see how you could write something differently. So I, I feel that as soon as I finish this last little bit, I've got about four more chapters to go through on the hard copy that I've printed off. Uh, I'm, I'm going to actually call it a day and um, and understand that at this point I do in fact need professional help and I can't do anything more myself. So uh, so that'll be all ready for Anna Sharples um, at the end of the week, I hope. So that's, that's my working week. Uh, and I think it's been quite good. I, I found it quite hard to find a little quiet moment to sit and just read and go through it. So I've mostly been doing the reading and going through it when, when everybody's in bed and when I'm in bed as well. But that's okay. And um, and then in the day, I just go through the document again on the computer and make the changes that I've kind of spotted on my evening read. So, yeah, anyway, so it's tedious, but it's got to be done. So happy days. Anyway, come in the week, meet Mark Wells. I think you're going to love him. He's a lovely man. And um, let's see what he's got to say. On the Words and Pictures podcast this week, I'm really excited to invite Mark Wells, who writes Cambridge Gothic. College of Shadows is the first book, Gator Shadows yep. is the second, and I have a third collection of short stories. Brilliant. Ah, so so it's all it's all happening. How many how many do you plan in the series, Mark? So I've got uh, the first story arc is three books, and the third one in that story arc is called Legacy of Shadows, and that comes out in it comes out in about four weeks' time. So that will be um, the way. Uh, so the premise of the story is that uh, two students go up to Cambridge University and discover something dark and mysterious happening in their college. And book one is set in that first term between when they arrive in October and Christmas. Mm-hmm. And the second book, Gate of Shadows, is set in the term after Christmas and goes up until Easter. And then the third book, Legacy of Shadows happens in the summer term and basically until the end of the academic year. So basically the first three books is a story arc over their first year at Cambridge. Brilliant. Sounds great. I love I like the idea of it. And are you are you a tutor yourself, um, Mark? <laughs> My uh, phone I, I used to be a fellow at the college. So yeah. uh, 
I know a bit about how it sort of all works. Yeah. Uh, no, I retired a few years ago and I, I write now. I, I still live in Cambridge, but I, I don't actually do any teaching. Yeah. I've only been to Cambridge once, but my husband is is from Oxfordshire and uh, he didn't right. go to the universities or anything. Uh, but he he was he's from Oxfordshire and he has some, um, you know, we used to go around the colleges and things. You, know, you can do tours and stuff like that. And when I did my degree, I did a little bit of um, research in the Bodleian. Yeah, you know, lovely. And a similar sort of thing, you know, just so much you can just imagine stuff happening there. There's there's it's a kind of there's some, a bit of creepiness and uh yeah. you know, your imagination goes away. And I think that what makes is what makes good fantasy work if you can if you can use something that's real. It doesn't have to be the setting, but I think it certainly helps. It you yeah. can hang hang the the make believe on it and it becomes much more believable, I think. Do do you think that's the truth? Do you think very much and i um i i really uh when i was a student i was a student at cambridge too and um when i went up there i mean the architecture is a bit like oxford and the architecture is really very Fabulous. atmospheric and and as you walk around you get you get a sense of something there's something in the air as you walk around and then uh, cambridge in particular a lot of the architecture is gothic uh, so, so as I was walking around, I was just getting into fantasy as, um, as sort of in my late teens. I'd read Dune and things like that at school, but then I was starting to get into sort of like sort of darker fantasy when I got to uh, uni. And as I was doing that and walking around, I could just imagine a fantasy sort of story set in Cambridge University. And I wasn't really aware of the genre of urban fantasy so like fantasy in a real world setting i was used to basically being epic fantasy or set in fantasy worlds yes um, yeah but, but I, I think you know one of my formative books as a child had been uh the c.s lewis narnia yeah. series particularly you know, you know that moment where lucy steps through the wardrobe and finds herself in that that sort of snowy clearing and mr tumnus runs across the lamppost i mean that i mean that's part of my life is really that moment and um and so I, I've always liked the idea of actually stepping out of the real world into a fantasy world yeah and I thought uh, if you walk around Cambridge I mean there's there's 31 colleges in Cambridge and and every college has like a dozen gates it, it just it just there's a lot just, of closed doors in little alleyways and little and, and little bits isn't there yeah, even just the place itself books. Yeah. Yeah. And what's behind that door? You know, what's behind mm. that gate? And so well, who went there before? You know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you do get a sense of that. You know, when you walk up some of the staircases, the stone steps have this groove cut in them, you know, yes. it's sort of like an elliptical groove because because fundamentally it's been worn away. And and I yeah. think part of me wanted at some point to to revisit Cambridge, you know, physically revisit Cambridge when I went away, but also to revisit as a setting for a story and um College of Shadows was my my sort of like debut novel, and I, I done a bit a bit, bit like you. I, I sort of like honed my craft by writing sort of uh, short stories for competitions, and you know submitting you know stories for for sort of like um, competitive writing competitions. And, and I started to get a few of those published. So when I decided to take the plunge and go for a full length novel, that idea about going back to Cambridge and um, and having a go at uh, setting sort of like a tale, a fantasy tale set there um, was sort of what inspired College of Shadows, really. Who are, is your reader? Are you uh, aiming at sort of young adults or is it sort of a bit of a crossover book that would, that would appeal to everybody? Yeah, How so, dark uh, is it? How dark is it, Mark? 
It's not dark, dark. Not it's too not, dark. And it's 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 a clean read. So I get yep. a lot of my readers are based in North America, and so like really follows like clean fantasy fiction. Yeah. So um, when I wrote it, I um, I wrote the manuscript basically with my uh, so like late teenage sons in mind. So Thomas and Michael, we we'd grown up on um, you know uh, the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and. Um, obviously Harry Potter and you know then we got into things like the Spooks Apprentice were getting a bit darker and then um, and then they sort of went off to they were were just finishing school finishing A-levels and was going off and that was the sort of time I was starting to write and and we were all into Warhammer in a big way so Warhammer's Mm -hmm. that dark gothic sort of fantasy world and then there's the Warhammer 40,000 which is the sort of futuristic one and we were we're big sort of like war gamers so we're all into that sort of stuff and, and it, that's when I started writing like for these short story competitions and I got a couple of stories published by um by Games Workshop who were publishing Warhammer novels and so I I was getting used to writing a slightly edgier version of sort of like fantasy so like Harry Potter plus and so it's, it's got that sort of like Harry Potter sort of magical realism but it's also a little bit darker and so so I had my so like 18, 19 year old boys in mind when I was writing um, the first draft of College of Shadows. And then I submitted it. I'm like, I don't know what, what you feel about, but I submitted it to bunches of agents to see if anyone would be take, interested in it. And they came back with one of two ways. They either wanted it to be taken down to be a sort of like um, they said, love the story, love your style, that sort of stuff. What we think is more commercial for you is if we went to maybe a boarding school environment or mm. they said we'd like you to throw in a lot of sex, drugs, yeah. social issues, that Lock sort of roll. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I just didn't want to do either of those things. You know, I thought if I take it down to boarding school, I'm going to be Harry Potter light. I didn't want to do that. Yeah. And if I take it into for sex and drugs and rock and roll, I was never really into that sort of stuff. So, you know, it doesn't interest me. I, I just didn't think I could write that authentically. So I just wanted to, to write a, like, a fairly gothic tale, which was like, um, you know, with fantasy in it, in this really sort of like surreal environment of Cambridge, because actually a lot of what I write in the books is genuinely authentic to Cambridge. So some of the traditions, some of the activities that the students get up to and that sort of stuff, you know, you're never quite sure what's fact fact and what's fiction. In fact, some of the most bizarre stuff that happens at Cambridge in the novels is actually true. Yeah. <laughs> and some of the less bizarre stuff is actually the fantasy. So so in many ways, um, I really like the idea of actually having Cambridge being one of the characters in the story. And so when Which is I, what's, what, what your reviewers are saying, aren't they? That, that, that they, yeah, like, pretty much. they like the characters. They like the character of Cambridge. And especially people from abroad that don't know these old cities like we do. It, yeah. it's it's interesting to to them as as just a, a, an extra thing within your work yeah i've got a huge following in north america i mean yeah. uh, and they absolutely love it because you know for a lot of people they say you know it's like um if harry potter went to university or, or if stranger things was at cambridge you know it's that sort of feel to it and, yeah it's um, nice and that's why i think you know actually i don't need anything i don't need the sort of like the really graphic stuff, uh, because for me, it doesn't interest me, the graphic stuff, and, and it would put a lot of people off, I think. Yeah, well, I think it's good to know exactly where you where you are and where you're sitting within, you know, and who your reader are, re- readers are. Um, I, I'm just quite fascinated because obviously I have a little look at your website and things, um, you know, before people come on. And uh, I was I really enjoyed, if you go on to Mark's website, and I'll leave notes, links in the show notes as usual, um, you can find, you know, a whole maps that you can sort of 
go around and look at look at the university and and actually see those buildings for real and it's really worth doing and uh, it's it is absolutely fascinating stuff yeah i have to ask you because this is the words and pictures podcast um mark who does your book covers did you have them done professionally are you a bit of a dabbler yourself yeah or, so what um, i did was um i tried to um i tried to get it to traditionally published i didn't know anything quite frankly i'd written the manuscripts and i was trying to sort of, like see what people thought of it so i sent it off and I you learn a lot don't you when you go indie you do, don't you? Yeah, you know, it's, fast, you know. <laughs> twenty or so like agent submissions and, and uh, lots of interest, but no one was sort of taking taking yeah. it on. So at that point, um, I went down to um, some I don't know some seminars in London, and I heard about this thing self publishing, and um, and I was wondering about doing because I'd had a career in business before I started writing, so I was I thought well maybe I could do that, but I was a bit daunted by the prospect of you know, learning about Amazon and, you know, all the publishing platforms and that sort of stuff. But then um, I bumped into someone at a Christmas drinks do um, here in Cambridge, and she was the PA to Mark Dawson. Oh, yes, Mark, Mark. Yeah. Like a hugely yeah. successful self-published author. And she said, oh, you should do Mark. Mark's written this course about how to become yeah. a self-published author. You should do it. So my Christmas present that year was to download it. And uh, my son, Michael, and I, he just come back from business school and he was interested in learning more about social media. And so we decided we'd do the course together. And we did the course together. And uh, it, it was one of those things I didn't make a conscious decision to self-publish. But once I started going through the course, we started looking at setting up a website and then looking at how we should like um, format the book and things like that. And in the end, we just basically did his his like basic course, which is like self-publishing formula 101. And we took the book to a point where we were ready to publish. And, and at that point, I said, OK, well, we better make sure it's any good. So I found myself a good editor um uh, a lady called uh, philippa donovan from smart quill and she's she's fantastic and she gave it a development edit and then i uh then i found a, a really great uh copy editor and uh and she uh, she was in sydney and she did a great job and then i found a really great proofreader based here in cambridge which was quite important because there's quite a lot of technical stuff in there that people from cambridge sort of get so she was good so i had had it beautifully edited and I thought, okay, cover. What do I do with a cover? So again, I looked on the self-publishing formula network and a few people recommending different people. And I looked at two or three cover designers. And long short, long story short, I found a cover designer called Spiffing Covers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which I love the title for a start. Brilliant. But yeah. these guys, the, the, the three guys, and, and they basically used to work for some of the big agent, big publishers in London. And then they moved out to East Anglia and they've got a fantastic little studio, virtual studio out in East Anglia. And I liked what they did and they were really helpful. And they did the cover for College of Shadows, which, you know, quite frankly, sold a lot of books because it's a brilliant cover. It is a good and, cover. They do look, they do look good. Yeah. yeah I, uh, I really, I really like the the glow in the middle of it. It's good, way, isn't it? The way the um the focus of your yeah of your when you look on it, it, it you sort of focus right into that middle part. Yes, I I, I like them a lot, and uh, and I'm pretty critical. <laughs> well, well, it's one of where I, you know, I didn't really know too much, but what Mark was really good at on his course, Mark Dawson, is he said, you know that. When it comes to the first thing people look at on Amazon, because you're basically going to be selling a lot of your books on Amazon, is they're going mm-hmm. to get a tiny thumbnail to yep. look at. And and if it doesn't make a positive impression straight away, yeah. they're probably going to scroll to the next book. Yeah. So the cover's got to be spot on. And then they look at 
the stars, <laughs> the number yeah. of reviews you've got and what, what ratings are. And then they look at um, the sort of the book description. And um, and so I, I try to make sure the cover looked great, you know, as good as anything out there. I tried to make sure that I got plenty of advanced readers who could write, you know, who could then read mm-hmm. it. And you know, I'd got it well edited. So I was pretty confident it would get reasonable reviews. And then um, and then I actually did then go and get a professional uh, book description uh um sort of team to do that brian cohen who's based cohen, yeah, brian cohen yep and he's he's super and his team did me a really great book description because i i, I it's the I, hardest I thing my... the book description what is that yeah, I, it's, it's very tough. very hard to write yes it, and, you, you, and you're can... so personally invested aren't you yeah so so your perspective is all distorted by your own experience of writing it yeah 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 so it, he, it, he it is a good job really and quite frankly yeah, and, and and the great thing was, I mean, I think, and it's not cheap. You know, each one of those you got to pay a fee to, and you got no money coming in. It's all some money. And the, the my my budget was that I'd planned to do. I, I'd retired, and I thought I'm going to give a go at writing this book. I retired, so I, I was planning to go on a creative writing MA, and I'd put aside. I think it was about seven thousand pounds to basically fund a year's worth of creating writing MA, and um, you know, which isn't cheap <laughs> um and uh but I'd, I'd saved the money up and i was going to spend that but when i by then i'd already written the manuscript and i mm-hmm. sent it off to people and there was some i was getting fairly good feedback uh including from one of the lecturers on the course i was about to go on and he said why are you doing the ma and and i said well you know i don't know anything about writing he says no he says this is publishable he says i'm not sure you're going to learn enough from the ma so so I sat down with my wife, Karina and Michael, and we and we sat down. And we said, well, rather than spend the money on an MA, why don't we have that as our self-publishing budget? Yeah. And then we'll spend that on the course, on the, you know, mm. on, on the marketing, that sort of stuff. So actually the upfront investment on the cover, you know, the, uh, building my advanced readers and mailing this, you know, getting mm. my um, my slight description done was out of that budget. And, and the good thing was that, you know, it became a bestseller. Mm. You know, straight away in, in the categories, not not across the whole of Amazon. No, no, but in no. the categories I was interested in. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's it, where it needs to be. And that, that's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Well, I think you've done really well. I think it looks really, really nice. And I think I think what you've done is you've 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 looked at your your sort of publishing life as a as a business. And I think if you can if you can put your business hat on and stand to one side and go, you know, this is what I need to do and I'm gonna have to spend some money. Whereas I think a lot of people go into this self-publishing and think they kind of waft about a bit too much and then they kind of, you know, don't really want to put their money behind it. They think that they think it should earn some money and then they're going to put some more money in it. When unfortunately you've got to put some money up front, you know, with your advertising, with your book covers, get, get your editor sorted out. And I, I think that's the thing. Um, I'm really interested to ask you mostly for my own. Um, <laughs> I like to pick people's brains on here. This is the whole point. Sure. Um, uh, I'm really interested to ask you about your, your audio books. Um, that looks brilliant. I, that's something I'd like to do for myself um, in the future. Okay. And I kind of fiddle about with it a little bit, um, but I haven't quite pushed the boat out yet and done it. Um, so you, I've noticed you, you're able to sell your audiobooks on your own website, which I think is great. And it's all, I'm all about, you know, let's sell our work ourselves, you know, yeah. to cut out the middleman. I think that's a really good thing. And I think more people are coming to creators to buy their work directly from them. And I think that's, that's a really good thing. So 
how how did that happen for you, Mark? Was it was it tricky to do? Did you did you outsource it? Oh, one of the other thing before you answer that, are you coming to the self publishing show in London? In- yes, I am. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I'll see you there. I'll see you there. <laughs> yeah. No, so, I, I, so, so yeah, audio. I mean, I've, I I personally love audio. I, I really got into audio. I think when well, you made a great TikTok. I love that TikTok of you doing the housework <laughs> with the with the, know. you know it's it's know. it's it's brilliant. Yeah, that was, my first, that was my first viral TikTok. Actually, yeah, it's but yeah, the, um, it was. Um, I think the reason I love audio is because um, I was painting a lot of miniatures. You know, the Warhammer hobby is you collect toy soldiers and you basically paint them and oh. you play games. With them. And myself and the boys were doing a lot of that. And um, uh, and, and you know, going on family holidays together, we'd have an audio book in the car. You know, when yeah, we're driving. Perfect. So actually, we grew up as a family listening to stories, um, audiobook stories. And of course, for those of you who've listened to, for example, the Stephen Fry version of, um, you know, uh, the, the Harry Potter, Harry Potter novel, thing, Stephen yeah. Fry is just the most sensational rater. So mm-hmm. we became really hooked as a family on audiobooks. And, and I always wanted to write, um, if I wrote a story, I always wanted to do an audiobook version That's of it. That's part of your vision. Version. Yeah. I have to say just before before you go on is if you go on Mark's website, you can find a really nice clip of his audiobook, which will make you want to buy it. And it's lovely. I love the 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 choir at the beginning and yeah. all of that stuff. It's it's really nicely done. You've had it professionally done. So yeah, go go on. So I'm I'm a bit of an interrupter. No, 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 no. It's good. But, but it's so, great. Well, it's a really good clip and great idea. <laughs> Well, what, so, so that was my vision. So I then looked at how you do it. And, and the simplest way to do it is to do it through Amazon. So they've got this company called ACX, which basically yep. gives you, puts you together with a whole bunch of narrators. And um, so you go on there and you find uh, basically types of voices that you think would be appropriate for your book. And then you can contact them directly. And then you do basically a contract with them. And you can either pay them a fee up front or you can give them a share of your royalties or you can do a combi de- deal where you give them a bit of fee up front and a bit of royalties. And, and that's the sort of the way that the it's almost like a marketplace where you sort of put the, the yeah. writer and the narrator together. And I was green as grass and I went into that. And um, by then I had about a mailing list of about a thousand um, followers. So what I did was I did a first of all, I did a questionnaire and I said, those of you who've read the book, OK, what sort of voice do you think I should have? Should it be oh, a female? Should it be male? Question. Of age, you know. Uh, and are your characters male and female? That, that yeah, are, I've got, I've got, I've got four, four points of view. So four, yeah. uh, four main characters. Um, there's uh, there's the two students who the, the two sort of key characters for book one are a boy and a girl fresher. Uh, then there's a graduate student, and then there's a professor. And um, those are my four points of view. So, so yeah, so I, I put it out there and they all came back with, um, they think it should be British because the key characters are British, shouldn't be an American voice. It mm. should be male. Um, mm-hmm. And they thought it should be, um, uh, they should be sort of like late twenties, not, not, a, not a youngster, but not the professor. So it's yes. sort of like middle yes. of the range, like, um, and probably a BBC sort of accent, you know, as a classic sort of British accent. But there are a lot of accents in the book. And ah, the thing yeah. that I got a little bit wrong was the first person I engaged as my narrator, uh, he was actually an actor in the Poldock series, so quite a well-known series, fantastic voice, um, really, really lovely guy. And um, what he was very good at was the main characters, but he wasn't so good at the accents. 
Yeah. And, um, and then there were some issues with production because um, he was actually doing the production himself. And um, there were a few things that weren't quite right in his original recording. And when I asked him to go back and edit them, you could tell where it had been edited. Mm. Anyway, it took quite a long time to do that first book and probably about um, two, two to three weeks work. And at the end of it, I was sitting there and I wasn't quite sure whether it was good enough. And we just took the view. Let's put it out there and see. And obviously the book got great reviews, but we kept on getting these one star reviews from people who are unhappy with the book quality. Oh. Uh, and and if you're really into audiobooks, and I should have known this because I'm really into audiobooks, if there's some glitches in production and you're a big audiobook listener, it's really annoying. Yeah. And so um about a year in, uh, about a year after releasing the audiobook, I was ready to release book two. And we had this big decision to make. Did we go with the same narrator or did we switch? And one of the other pet peeves of audiobook listeners is if you change narrators. Yeah. So, and it was and do the, do the narrators normally do their own production then? Well, on, on ACH. I mean, these podcasts are enough, Bane, to be honest. Well, you know, <laughs> you, you know I mean? to, 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 um, you know, it, it's surprising how many people that speak you're doing brilliantly well, but a lot of people go, they click when they speak. Yeah. So you yeah, have to cut exactly. out all the, and you don't notice it when you talk to somebody, just nope. the thing, but, or they go before the sentence. And because you have Absolutely. to take all that out and it, it's, you know, it's, it's work. I mean, I can do a bit of basic sound editing. My daughter's a sound engineer, so it is quite a thing. So if they don't, you know, if they and don't know what they're doing. And some of them actually, there's quite a few narrators out there who do produce their own stuff, but it's almost become their own business. Yeah. Whereas this particular actor, who, by the way, is a lovely chap, um, and it was heartbreaking to do it. This particular chap had got into it fairly recently, and I think he was still learning how to do it. And he's yeah. still a mainstream actor, so it wasn't his main line no. of business. So um, what we with it was like a very like heavy heart i decided not to go with him a second time and, and i decided that i was going to redo the first book with a new narrator and redo so that we could do the first book and the second book with the same narrator and then we keep that narrator going on and i did some research and i found there are actually some very good independent production companies and and uh, i got some various reviews from from different authors about their experience of different production companies and i approached two or three of them and i found this really fantastic production company if you're going to get your books done i'd recommend you at least consider them they're called chatterbox audio Ooh. yeah and chatterbox audio have um two studios one is like near london the other's out in the writing town. it down <laughs> i'll put all these links in the no, yeah, no, I do. They've got they've got two studios, you know, top 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 range studios. Um, one's in South London area, and the other is out in the uh, in the southwest where some of them live. And um, what you get is absolutely top quality production. But when you do the deal with them, you basically um, they will offer you a, uh, a, their own portfolio of narrators. Um, and those narrators are as broad a range as you would get through ACX. Um, they uh, I, I, and they they offer you like again. I went through the same exercise. What type of voice I was looking for? They offer me. Um, I think it was about six or seven voices to listen to. I listened to those. Shortlisted it to two. Then I went with a chap called Kieran Sword, and Kieran Sword. This is his main income. This is his mm -hmm. main thing, um, and so. Um, very experienced narrator, 
fantastic voice, absolutely spot on in the category I needed. Mm. And what he did was he was booked by them to come into the studio for two weeks. And for two weeks, they did both books. Yeah. Brilliant. Now, when he comes into the studio, what they have there is they have a director, they have an editor, and they have a sound technician and the narrator. Okay. Yeah, that's quite a lot of people. Expensive. It is. So, so <laughs> it is, he says. Okay, so, so, we don't keep so, the audio. So, so the cost the cost for doing it the first time with the single chap, uh, this was a few years ago now, was about a thousand pounds uh for the for the whole thing. Um with it's three times that with Chatterbox. Um, it was a bit less than that because I did two books together. So, you know, I got a sort of, a sort of deal on it, but, uh, and, and the prices might be different now, but, um, but then it was like three times the price, but <laughs> it was just such a different experience because first, the first, rec- first of all, they were much better at getting out of me um, any question marks I might have about um, certain words. Yeah. You know, I might know how they sound. But they wanted to be sure yeah. uh, that they had it right. So, you know, the names of characters, for example, or so the the books are set in in an actual college in Cambridge, St John's College, Cambridge. It's actually set in my old college, and if you're a member of that college, you're called a Jonian, and it's spelt John Ian. Okay, oh, yeah. so, but actually, the way you say it is Jonian. So again, they were checking on. All these unusual words they were seeing because they completely read the book first. So the, yeah. the director, the editor read the book and did the narrator before they recorded a single Sounds word. Sounds like they're really thorough and really professional totally to work thorough. with. And that's what so when they did it, I mean, there was almost like no edits. I think there were like a couple of edits in the entire thing. And when they yeah. re-edited it, I couldn't find where they'd edited it. It was just beautiful. Yeah. And then um, uh, so what we then did was um, we then released both audiobooks within a month. So we released the first one and a month later we released the second one. And uh, and it's just had fantastic reviews. So yeah. yeah. Brilliant. It sounds well, it sounds the little clip that I listened to, I thought I thought it was really good. I don't listen to audiobooks particularly much. Um I tend to listen to podcasts, oddly, oddly enough. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've always got a whole pile of podcasts I want to listen to. Uh, sometimes I take them, you know, with me when I'm walking my dog and things. Um, but I've, I've never been an audiobook listener, so it's kind of not really on my radar. It's not something I've done. I've also never played a video game, oddly enough. But uh, perhaps <laughs> I should expand my life and uh, get, well, out, what, get out. One of the things I've discovered about audiobooks is audiobooks are much more uh, – so if you look at the, 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 the listeners compared to readers, there are many more male listeners than there are male readers. So the proportion, oh, that's interesting. It is yeah. very interesting, isn't it? So I think men are much more likely to listen to an audiobook uh, than women are, oh. uh, and um, because of that, because my books are, you know, both sexes are involved. It's very much just sort of like you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a romance. It's not a it's not like an all action. It's like a mix of the genres. And so actually, I try and keep my my like uh, the different ways to sort of put my content in front of people as broad as possible, and audio therefore does does quite a nice job for me for getting me a a slightly more male uh, reader or listener group yeah. than I would have got perhaps through the through Kindle or through a printer book. I think it's interesting. Do you find when you write, um, uh, do do you think how it will sound when it's read aloud more so now that you've had the audiobooks done as you as you're writing the next the next well, part in the series your, yeah i was listening to some of your uh your sort of podcasts about you know, your technique and so forth so so my technique is i i uh, uh uh i get up and i i write in the morning 
okay mull over it during the day i do my marketing and all that sort of tiktok stuff and everything in the afternoon then the evening i will read what i've written that day even if it's 500 words or if it's been like 2000 words whatever i will read in the evening whatever i've written to my wife karina so we have some food and then i sit in the there's we got like an armchair in the kitchen mm. and we had our food i'll read to her what i've written and I, I get her immediate response to what i've written that day yeah and yeah. and what I found, I don't know whether you find it, but if you read something aloud, gosh, you really it's find different. the kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, especially dialogue. So if yeah. I'm struggling to sort of like, you know, uh, uh, sort of read aloud a piece of dialogue, I know there's some stuff needs fixing. But also, then you you find yourself like, talking dialogue. I walk my dog and I mutter to myself, but actually, what I'm doing is I'm I'm speaking the dialogue of whatever I'm writing in my head, yeah. and I and because the dog quite enjoys it, she just she's yeah. a bit she just trots along, and I'm going no 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 because right. I find I just have to hear it out loud to hear if it sounds like normal speech. I totally agree. In fact, I was listening to uh, I. I did um for Christmas. Karina bought me a um uh, the BBC Maestro um, course from Lee Child, Ooh. and if anyone's interested in a really interesting, I mean, it's fascinating from a just almost like an autobiographical uh, sort of talk. But basically, it's it's a, a twenty five module course by Lee Child on how he writes the Jack Reacher series. Really, how and, interesting! And, and it was, it was forty eight quid or something on BBC Maestro. Anyway. Um, I listened to all 25 and he is an absolute advocate of reading it aloud. Yeah. And um, and and I realized that, you know, I'm the same. I find reading it aloud really helps. So what happens is I read it in the evening. Karina gives me some feedback. I hear things like I've used the same word three times in a relatively yeah, the word stack. Yeah. Yeah. So so then I make a note of that. Don't do the edits that night. And I wake up the next morning because I wake up early. I wake up about five. And between- oh, you're like my husband. Awful. I already <laughs> don't like you, Mark. Now you said that. You're one of those, aren't you? You're cheerful as well, aren't you? Awful. But between- no, so I, I don't I'm, do anything till 12 o'clock. I'm not cheerful until I've had a coffee. So when I had a coffee, <laughs> basically between five and seven, I will basically make whatever edits I've done to what I read out the night before. And then at nine o'clock, I start again with what I'm writing the next day. Yeah. So I have that sort of, I'm, I'm back into the flow of the story yeah. um, by the time I'm writing the new stuff. And that's yeah. my thing. And so, yeah, reading aloud does a number of things. It allows me to hear where things aren't right. It also, quite frankly, allows Karina to get a sense of how I'm getting on because my psychological support as a writer is Karina. Yeah. And if I'm struggling, she knows that because if, if I've done a reading with her in the evening and it's not gone very well, she knows that I'm going to be very anxious about that. And so uh, she she's really good at looking after me, making sure, you know, um, you know, I, I can get on top of that, and not to get upset by it. Um, but equally, if things are going well, she knows I'm in a really positive mood. So that's a really great opportunity for her to ask me to help in the allotment. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's it. All here's here's another audio book. Do some house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, 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 my psychological management is like helped by reading aloud because my my keys like in a sense my partner in crime in a sense knows where my head is, and then also it just helps me with uh, keep the momentum going. Yeah, sounds like a really good method, and I think it's good to find your own way of working. I don't think it matters what that is really. I think as as a writer, as long as you've found something that you can produce some words and and get them down, you know, in yeah. some kind of sensible manner no so so basically i've got um my three books um uh when i finished this story arc um, I've, I've 
it's just been out to the advanced readers. Um, they've all given me my feedback. Um, fan- fortunately, it's really good, which is good. really well <laughs> That's always a bit stressful when I you think send that's it. Out. Co- consequential books are more. Uh, uh, you know, the books that you, the books that you've written after the first one is like very clear in your head. I find, and then when yeah. you come to write the next one, it's it's like a bit of the freshness is lost. Or or do we feel a bit? I don't know. More worried about pleasing everybody again. Yeah, definitely. I, think it is I found this, my 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 nervousness about how people respond to it increase with each one. Um, I, I, there's positives about writing a series and negatives. The positive is that some of the world building you don't need to repeat. Uh, yes. You can cover it more quickly. So lovely to talk to Mark Wells about his his writing and his Cambridge Gothic, and definitely do go on his website. You'll find uh, the links in my show notes, which are on my. Uh, I think you can find the show notes anywhere, but you can certainly find them on my website, which is www.djbowmansmith.com. And if you want to just find the podcast, do forward slash podcast, and you'll find the whole thing there. And I put all the links on of everything that we talk about, and I, I try to always do that for whoever my guests are and whatever we've mentioned. Um, things like the um, book designers or editors or Mark Dawson self-publishing formula, all that, you'll find all the links there if you want to go in and check those out. And of course, um, Mark Wells' website will be on there as well. And if you want to go and check his Cambridge Gothic stories out, then certainly do go and do that. Um, So next week, my guest is Karen Telling. Now, Karen lives in Portugal and her books are light-hearted memoirs of her moving out from the the UK to Portugal and uh, becoming disabled while that was happening. So it's it's an interesting story, um, a light-hearted story, I believe, and also includes quite a few animals that she's rescued along the way. So do come along next week and uh, listen to Karen telling telling us all about her amazing time in Portugal. Okay, in the meantime, I'm uh, DJ Bowman-Smith, and this has been the Words and Pictures podcast. Until next time, bye-bye.